thank you, Joe. Um, Cameron, when do I need to wrap up? About 30 minutes? Okay. Uh, a couple sort of beginning things. Hello and welcome for those of you who I've not met before. I just got this in the mail yesterday, the recent Atlantic Monthly uh, research on the overprotected kid. Um, hot off the press. I have not read all of it, but you might be interested in looking at that. Another little thing I wanted to do, I, I met with a group this morning already, uh, and um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, you know, I, I have, I have, uh, I said this earlier, but I, I've regretted since the day I said yes to Cameron uh, about do, agreeing to do this today. <laughs> you know, you have these email exchange, Cameron's like, would you come and do this? I'm like, well, I don't really do talk on parenting, and, and I'm in the middle of it. And he said, uh, he said, well, you know, just come, and I said yes, and then Palmer Kennedy, uh, the, who was here the, earlier this morning, sends out an email to all the students at Advent, you know, with this, my wife's, I, I'll, I'll never forget it, my, we were in bed, my wife had her cell phone, she said, you're not going to believe this. Um, Palmer Kennedy just announced that you're speaking on a biblical model for discipline. I'm like, oh, crap. And, so, and, then, and, then, and then, you know, Andrew announces it on Sunday morning. I mean, I'm just breaking out into the sweats on this thing. Um, and I'll explain to you in a second why, uh, um, I, well, I was going to read you a quote from Martin Luther, but I'm not going to do it, um, why I'm breaking out in the sweats. And that is, I want to give you a little background on some of my story on this. And some of you have heard this in different contexts, so I hope to sort of bring it together to here. I, I, was, I was reared in, a kind of fun, in the fundamentalist world, some of you know that. Um, I, I was a good kid. I was an only child. And uh, um, Victor Hansen and I were having coffee yesterday, and he mentioned something to me about the statistics. About 80% of kids are really kind of non-compliant by nature, and 20% are. And the problems with the sort of 20% is that the parents can kind of think that they're the reason why their children are so great. Um, I, I, you know, I was in that 20% category. I mean, I was a compliant. I was a good. I was a good kid. I never really went through a rebellious phase. So I and I and I didn't have any brothers and sisters. It was just me. Um, so that was my world. And then, then I was a youth pastor or youth director for five years while I was in seminary. And this was sans kids, right? So I was early married, didn't have any children. And I kind of, you know, I operated with a very, it was unwitting. I don't think it was at the, on the frontal lobes in any way, but I was very much of the mind that, you know what, I can't really fix your kids if you haven't been a good parent, right? That was kind of my, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say that. But I had those kinds of thoughts, you know, like, so really, or we had friends who would come and visit us. I remember this happening. Dear friends, and you know what this is like, by the way, where you have friends uh, that you have when you were a couple without kids, and then you move into being friends with kids. That changes things, doesn't it? I mean, at least that's been our experience. So they had their five-year-old, and they came over, and he was a holy terror, and I remember them leaving. I just looked at Naomi. I'm like, it's just not going to be like that in our home. I mean, it's just not. It's just not going to roll that way. Um, and so there was a kind of culture at this church that I was on staff at, and it was a really grace-oriented church. Which is this is the irony of this. It was a grace-oriented church, but there was a culture there that if you applied a certain kind of model for parenting and discipline, then 
you know, by and large, you should expect a certain kind of result. That It was behavior modification, really, and you should be able to see it rather early. And so your identity as a parent was attached to the performance of your kids. I had all that baggage sort of up and running, um, whether, again, whether I knew it or not. And then, uh, you know, God gave me my firstborn son. And uh, it was like, all bets are off. I mean, I really thought I knew what I was going to do. I'm, I'm going to know how to work this thing out. I've got this worked out a kind of model of what I, what, I, what I envision things to be like. And none of it has happened. I mean, none of it. So whenever now, you know, people will ask me in various contexts about parenting advice, I'm just very slow to give it. You know, I, I don't, and it's similar with marriage advice. I, I know about the particularity of my marriage with Naomi. And the issues that are involved there and what we've had to do to make it work by the grace of the Lord, right? But that's our story. Like for me to it's like move from that and to say, and now Joe and Amy, I think what you all, you know, I, I just, that, that's what Gil can, you got to see Gil for that, right? Um, so, and I, was, I would say a similar thing with parenting and why I've, I don't think I've been more nervous about any speaking engagement really in a long time than this one today. And that's the truth. Now, not because of the numbers, but just because of the topic. Because, you know, I, I just want you to know I'm, I'm speaking from the trenches with you on this. I, I do believe that there's a constant need for continued reflection. Um, and this is going to be my last point this morning, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it into the beginning. I really do believe, and this has been my experience with Naomi and with our boys, that when it comes to ch- child rearing and discipline, we just can't set things on autopilot. We are constantly rethinking. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I find that ex- exhausting. Uh, it's just exhausting to kind of to continually rethink, all right, that didn't work. We need to think about this. We need to think about that. So whenever you have a title like the one that's been given today, a, a biblical model for discipline, is that what it's called, something like that? Here's the good news and here's the bad news. The bad news is the Bible's not all that helpful. Okay, now now I'm going to back up on this. Now what I mean by that is, and this is the bad news, that for you and for me, whenever you go to a parenting conference or are drawn to one, this is at least from my story, what typically draws us to these parenting conferences is I've got a three-year-old and I've never had a three-year-old before, and the three-year-old is doing this, and I have no idea how to handle that. There really aren't Bible verses for that, right? I've got a young, I have a daughter that's moving into her, post her prepubescent age, and she is now becoming a woman in front of my eyes, and she's asking questions and feeling feelings that I don't know how to speak into, there's not a Bible verse for that. I mean, I think that's the point. That, I mean, that's bad news and good news in a way. So when it comes to the kinds of issues that plague you as a parent in your day-to-day routine and the ruts that we live in, I mean, there's just, the Bible doesn't always move very naturally from that to dealing with a seven-year-old who still has tantrums and you don't think he should anymore, right? We should be past that. But my seven-year-old still does it. Um, or my nine-year-old um, has no sense of, my nine-year-old is just hell-bent on being selfish. Right? I mean, you know, the, the, working with the particularities. And that's where this whole thing about wisdom comes into play, right? And the need for community and the need for... All right, so that's the other thing. 
But the positive news is the Bible actually has a lot to say about how we engage our children. So that might seem antinomous, or at least in contradiction to, to each other, these two statements, but I hope you can see where, where, where I'm moving with this. The Bible doesn't give you a lot of the practical how-to and the, and the daily grind of it. But as far as like a bigger sort of overview framework for how we engage our children, the Bible has some things to say about that. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning recognizing that how these things get worked out in the particularity of your family is not is something that really demands enormous amounts of prayer, wisdom, and frankly, just a deep sense of dependence on the Lord to do it, which is where we're going to go on all of this, right? At the end of the day, this is the, the Lord at work with our kids. Um, so I hope that kind of frames where we're, where we're going with this. Um, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. Um, I, I woke my son up this morning. William was up at 6, and I was getting ready to come here. I had a meeting at 7 here this morning. I said, William, and he was groggy. I said, I'm going to talk to parents today about discipline. What do you think I should say? And he said, well, I'm not really the one to ask, Daddy. That's his first response. <laughs> and I said, no. I said, think about what you want, want me to say. And he said, well, tell them, because this is one of my issues, tell them they don't have to speak so harshly. Right? So, I said, so that's what's familiar. Oh, yeah. That's um, all right, so here we go. Uh, if you have Bibles, I don't know if you have Bibles. Um, I'm just going to work through these. And because we're a small enough group, I am happy for you to break my stride at any moment. If you want, I need clarification on this. I'm not sure about that. Um, you feel free to break my stride at any moment. So I'm just going to give some, some big picture ideas here. And we're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs, as you'd imagine that would be the case. And let me say something about the book of Proverbs before I hop in. Um, we're in Proverbs chapter 3. Um, I, I hope this isn't controversial, but because uh, I don't really want to go down this road. But I'll just go and just lay it out there. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, as I understand it, and unfortunately you just have me this morning, but as I understand the book of Proverbs... I understand that book to be general maxims about how life should probably go, all things being equal. But they're not necessarily promises. In other words, I think it's good to keep a distinction between a proverb and a promise. Um, another way of putting this is, and we're going to talk about this verse this morning, train up a child in the way that he or she should go, and in the end they will not depart from it. And the answer is that's a general maxim about life except for when it doesn't happen, right? And there are, and you know this, don't you? I mean, you've experienced this. On the margins, there are um, just experiences that can falsify that verse, right? I mean, you've seen it, haven't you? Um, I lived, I mentioned this earlier, I lived with a family when I was in seminary before I got married. I lived in their garage. They had three children. I mean, they were a model family. I think he was a pastor at the church. The Robinsons were their names, are their names. And a model family. Love this family. Um, I mean, I, I, multiple times, even in my life now, I've thought, I just need to go back and sit in their home for a day just to remember how it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to look like. Um, so godly family, gospel-centered family, a lot of thought goes, get, went to their child-rearing. And they have a son who is, um, you know, 
off the rails right now. I mean, if that's not a great way to say that. Um, in other words, it doesn't make sense to me that that's happened. And yet there's other scenarios that you know where you've seen people grow up and they're like, wow, what stalwart citizens and members of the church and have you met their mom and dad? It's like it's that kind of thing. So you have falsifications on both sides. And when I talk about the Proverbs, they're general maxims for life, but we also take into account the reality that life is that life can be complex. So, number one, here's number one. Biblical discipline is grounded in the fact that when it comes to God, discipline and love are not antithetical. They're not in conflict the one with the other but they're actually organically related okay listen to the verse it's one that you all know my child do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the lord reproves the one that he loves as a father the son in whom he delights in other words the author of the proverbs here is saying and this, by the way, is quoted in Hebrews as well. And it's one of the few times in the New Testament that a proverb is ever quoted. So here you have the author of the proverb saying that, first of all, children don't despise discipline or don't despise the discipline of the Lord. And the motivation for the discipline that comes from the Lord is a motivation that's driven by love. Now, I'm not going to say anything that's going to blow your hair back today. Everything is going to be what you know already. So we're just going to sort of reinforce and talk about this. There's no surprises. But you know the book of Proverbs well enough to know that really what's laid out before us are two options when it comes to our children. There are two paths that diverge in the yellow wood. Which one are they going to go down? And the one path is the path of wisdom. And the other path is the path of foolishness. And that's it. And I think left unstated, but what is before us in the book of Proverbs is children left to themselves will go down one of those paths, no questions. And it will probably be the foolish path, right? So there's no questions about that. That's the path that one will, that they'll go. And so when it comes to discipline within the book of Proverbs, and really within the whole of the Bible, this notion of discipline is correction for the sake of protecting the child from destructive patterns, right? That's, that's kind of, from destructive, foolish patterns. Now, let me say a few things about this whole notion of discipline, because this has been helpful for me. Like, I, I've cursed Cameron for making me do this this morning, but I've also thanked him multiple times as I prepare for this, because it's helped giving me a little bit of sense about what this is, how to frame this, and also listening to Joe's last time I listened to it on, online. Very helpful to help me sort of frame some of these issues. Um, number one, the term discipline... Um, and forgive me for going Hebrew on you for a second, but the term discipline in the Hebrew text is a term that in multiple contexts is also translated as instruction or teaching or education, which I think is extremely important because it begins to expand our notion of what discipline actually is. Right. I tend to think of discipline as, dadgummit, William, 30-minute timeout, get up on your bed right now, right? Um, 
Franklin, and I'll, this is what we do in our family, we're not always, we are not consistent. I know every parenting book I read says be consistent. I'm like, well, we're screwed because we're not <laughs> consistent, right? No, but when it comes to like our time out for our little ones, we've cut out a little circle and we wrote on it the wisdom spot. That's what we call it. And so we'll tell Franklin, Franklin, go get the wisdom spot and sit on it, right? You know, so we, we try to, but that's what I tend to think of as this one, those moments, right? The time out, the no, you can't play basketball for two days. No Kindle over the weekend. There's no electronic, this kind of thing that we do. No, you cannot watch basketball on Sunday morning before we go to church. It's these kind of things. So I tend to think of discipline in that regard, but it's bigger than that. You know, it's bigger than what, the moment of confrontation. It's a larger pattern of teaching and instruction that's motivated by love, that has love at its end. And here's another distinction that actually has become very helpful for me, and that is distinguishing between judgment and discipline. Now let me put this to you, and this is again, thank you Cameron for letting me think through this. I'm not sure I had these distinctions up and running, or at least had thought about them in this way, but God is a judging self. I mean, you read the Bible enough to know, don't mess with God, right? He is a judging self. But God judges his enemies. That's who God judges. And from a gospel perspective, we recognize that the good news for us is that the judgment due to us because we were his enemies, Colossians 1, right, has been poured out on his son on our behalf. So when it comes to judgment from God on his children, there is no fear at all because judgment's been poured out on him. But discipline is something different than judgment, right? Judgment is retributive. It's an eye for an eye kind of thing. It's you're an offender and someone has to pay. It's that kind of thing. But that's not what discipline is. Discipline is not judgment. It's corrective. It's a means to an end. It's not an end unto itself. It's a means unto an end. That's motivated by love. That's helping put a child on the correct path. And that's really framed in a larger way, I think, by by um by teaching so discipline is not judgment it's connect it's correction motivated by love for the sake of educating our children in the direction of non-destructive patterns of life so our children need to know um my children need to know that the discipline that's coming to them is not judgment in this regard and the way in which i talk with my, hope to talk with my children about this and I, god help me is in ways that's framed by the gospel. Now, I'll use illustrations from my family today uh, because it's the only illustrations I have. Um, it's my family. And, uh, and again, you could bring your own illustrations. I've got an older son who responds w- well eventually to two-by-fours. Right? That's kind of <laughs> how it goes. I've got a middle son that meets brick walls and breaks with a blink. They're just so different. Um, and then my middle son, Jackson, who I'll say his name, my middle son um, can get to despair, honestly, about his inability to do what we ask him to do. I mean, saying just overly dramatic things like, I just can't do it, nobody loves me, and that kind of thing. And those are moments that I think Naomi and I have as as an opportunity to speak the good news, hopefully, of the gospel into his life and to ours. You know, Jackson, that feeling that you're feeling right now, 
it's a good feeling. Because you know what it shows you? It shows you that you really need a Savior. You really need someone to redeem you. You really need Jesus. And I want to tell you something. You might not see this with Mommy and Daddy. We really need him too. All the time. I mean, when you see Daddy yell at you one more time, or you see Daddy lose his cool with Mommy right in front of you, or you see those things happening, you know what? Daddy needs Jesus big time. So this distinction between discipline and judgment I think is a helpful way for us to to speak into our children's lives about the importance of the gospel and how that shapes our understanding of it. All right. Um, I was going to talk about the rod a little bit, but you can ask questions about that. I I do believe in original sin, and I also believe that there's not one part of my sweet little children's lives that aren't touched by sin, including the way they feel, the way they think, and the way that they will. They choose. Their chooser is broken, right? Um, so I believe that sin has sort of... The, the Puritans, you might not like this, but the Puritans looked at their children and called them innocent vipers, right? I mean, that's the... Vi- vipers, yeah. Um, and, and I think that, to me, and within the book of Proverbs, helps me to see how important it is to see discipline related to love. And why do I say that? I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now significantly because... There's another proverb, it's in Proverbs chapter 13, that says, For the father, and we'll make this more, more gender neutral, for a father or a mother who doesn't discipline, this is a hard word, um, that you actually hate your children. Proverbs. That's a hard word. And as I thought about that, I mean, you think it's, I would have, again, in my pre-kid's life, I would have thought, I'm never going to struggle with discipline. I mean, that's just going to be part of it. But now, how many times do I just sit there with the remote and go, I'm, I can't deal with this again. I'm indifferent. You know, like, go burn down a building. Here are the matches. I don't care. Right? <laughs> have you been in that moment? I don't know if you've been. I've been like that. It's like, you know what? We dealt with this again. I don't care. Here's a list of profanities. Start saying them. Just go do them. Right? Um, so all to say... The notion about loving our children and moving toward them in educational correction, that becomes a pattern of life, not just the moments of, you know, I, it just reminds me of my own need. And my, oh, that, that, that's hard. That's a hard call. So we need to use the proper term, and the proper term is vocation. Part of who I am, part of my vocation, part of my identity and calling from God is that I'm a parent. It's not my only vocation, and this is, I think, part of the, one of the trickiest aspects of being a parent, and especially in the modern world, is bringing into some sort of coherent and unified view all of our competing vocational calls, right? I'm called to be someone at Advent. I'm called to my work at Beeson. I'm called to my work in the community. I'm called to, I'm, I'm a husband. In other words, my vocation is not just a parent. It's not just that. But part of my vocational identity is I'm, I'm a parent, and that's a calling. And as I was reminded from dear Leland Hull at Advent on Sunday morning, I sat behind his family, um, you know, and he had his grandchildren there. And I said, what a beautiful thing, Leland, to see you with all your children and your grandchildren. And he said, let me tell you, buddy, it's never over. <laughs> never. So my, that vocational identity as a parent, it's like, I'm on, it's, it's just like this. Till, I mean, the reality is that I'm going to be that till the tomb comes. I'm, I'm a parent for my calling. Number two, number two, oh crud. Um, the, the, 
concomitant, the, 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 the um, reciprocal response from children that corresponds to this, right, is parents are called to train and to instruct. And children are called to be teachable. I mean, that's here what you have in Proverbs. Don't despise the reproof, the instruction, the correction of the Lord. It's a call toward teachableness, which is, I don't even know how to sort of move into that, except for it is something I pray for with my boys. Lord, help them to be teachable. I use this language in my home, and again, I hope it's shaped by the gospel, but it's the reality is I tell my children, when it comes to what the Bible says for you, it's really simple. Right? I mean, I make this so complicated. It's really simple. Obey, respect, period. Children, obey your parents, honor your father and your mother. When it comes to the law, right, that comes to our children, what God asks of them, that both reveals their sin and gives them a way forward. When it comes to that, it's kind of straightforward. You know, I, I, I add all these things, but it's just obey, respect. And I would add to that now, I think, given here with Proverbs, teachableness. I, I have to say, and I'll give props to my mother on this, if she said to me once growing up, she said to me multiple, multiple times, Mark, when someone brings you criticism, it will hurt at first, but the wise person will receive that criticism, even if it comes in a way that kind of hurt. So be open to receiving criticism. She said that to me once, she said it to me a hundred times. My father, on fishing trips, I can just hear him now, son, be teachable, be a teachable person, be teachable, be teachable. And I pray that for my boys. I won't say his name, but I've got one of them who thinks he knows a lot, right? Um, and is, you know, quite, um, and doesn't mind letting people know that, you know? And so this sort of notion of William, oh, I just said his name. <laughs> Excise that. Um, be teachable, son. Be teachable. There's a lot that you don't know. And there's a lot to be learned. And we hold our knowledge in humility. You know, that's what I call it. Anyway, I'm, I'm out. You don't, don't post this thing. I'm looking. <laughs> Um, uh, so there's two paths when it comes to teachableness, foolish or wise. And what that presses on me as a parent, as I read the book of Proverbs, and think about the larger frame of Scripture on this, is the fact that that forces me as a parent into a position of dependence that I have never known. I mean, have you had this experience? I have talked to... I like being around parents. I mean, you use this, I'm scare quote quoting here. But around parents who seem to have have been, oh, I hate to say this because I don't mean it how it's coming out, successful. Right? No, no, they have children that are now adults who pay their bills, right? <laughs> and go to work and, and actually go to church, you know? And I look at that and I go, that's the promise to land, right? <laughs> they pay their bills. They have a house. I mean, that, that's, that's my goal, right? Independent adults who are members, full members of the kingdom of God. That's my goal, um, so I like to be around parents who've already been down that road to say, you know, can you give some advice here? Now, we're new at this. I thought I knew what I was doing, but I obviously don't. Um, what do you have to say? And I, I, this happened last night, Marilyn, did it, around the dinner table just last night. Nine times out of ten, parents will say again and again and again to me and to my wife, we just prayed a lot. And do you know what my response is to that? My response typically is, well, I'm sure you did that. But, but what did you do? Right. right. In other words, what did you really do? Um, 
And the, the pushback on that is, no, really. Like, we prayed. Dear friends of ours, I'll say their names, Miles and Marsha Gresham. Some of you may know them. I was on an elder board with Miles for many years. He's a doctor in town. And all of his kids, he's one of these kind of families. And I sat down with Miles and Marsha and Naomi was there and was like, you know, talk to us and then pray. And, and then Miles began to just recount the struggles that he had as a parent with anger. And I mean, I was looking at a mirror because I struggle with anger in my own parenting. You know, so I'm looking at a mirror. I'm just looking at him going, really, you too? And the, the sum total of that conversation was we really needed to pray, right? So that's not, uh, when we look at the path of foolishness or wisdom, I think we all have to breathe some sigh of relief that's mixed with despondency to recognize that we just can't make this happen in our kids' hearts. I hate, this, I hate that truth, but I cannot make it happen. Now, I do think I'm called on as a parent to do this correction, to do this education, and I, but I talk this way to my children even now, more now than I ever have, actually, in this past year. Um, Jackson, I know you feel that way. I understand that you feel that way. But you're going to have to do this. And I hope your heart changes, but I cannot make that happen. I just can't do that. But we're going to pray about that. But I don't have the ability as your dad to, to do that. So let's pray that God will do that work. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And I know you've experienced this. Nothing has made me feel more insecure. Nothing has made me feel more vulnerable. And nothing has made me feel more fearful than my children. Nothing has. And part of that, frankly, is because I continue to struggle to this day with attaching my own identity to their success, right? I mean, think about it. What is it, and, and when I say the world, I'm not necessarily meaning this pejoratively, but what is it that the world values most in your children and mine? Social success, academic success, and athletic success, right? That's the, I mean, those are the, some biggies. And all those are great. I want, them, I want all of them for my boys. I want them to be academically successful. I want William to learn how to field a ground ball from the ground up and stop yanking it before it, while it goes between his legs. I want him to learn all these things, right? But when it comes to shaping them as full-fledged members of the kingdom of God who recognize that their citizenship is in heaven already, and that's what shapes their identity here, you know, I have to think long and hard about how I'm attaching my own identity to those things. My identity is in Jesus, Right? But I struggle with it all the time. I mean, the truth, I mean, I'll just lay bare, lay bare. You know why I get upset mostly when my kids act up in church? Not because they're missing out on, boy, we are not worthy to even eat the crumbs. Son, I want you to know what that means. That's important. No. It's because I got some people around me and they kind of know who I am and that reflects on me. And that, that's, I struggle with that all the time because we have this sort of performance anxiety when it comes to our to our children. And I think recognizing our identity in Jesus and, our, and also recognizing that at the end of the day, He is for them. This is cliche. I know it's bumper sticker. I know it's t-shirt. But it's so true. He is for them more than I am. All right. He's for them. And He's praying for them. And He's involved in their lives. And I have to trust in that. And hopefully what I'll do, we'll do in time, in moments, we'll say not, not in time, but just again and again, when God so gifts us with His grace, is that will give us the freedom to allow us to engage them. All right, third thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If there is a theme verse in the book of Proverbs, that's it. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I know that fear is a term... None of us want our children to be scared of God. Right. And the term fear can range from all, all the way to utter terror. It's got a long range. And I think all that's involved here. But I also think, given the larger biblical framework that we're engaging this, that fear of the Lord language really can just be shorthand for the gospel. Why? Because we recognize that God is all-powerful, and we recognize that left to our own devices, we could not move toward Him. But He has rescued us from that in Himself. So if I think, if we put this in a larger frame, this fear of the Lord language, this reverence, this awe, this terror, that recognizes that God is God and we are not, finds all of its resolution in the gospel. That Jesus is for us. That he has taken our judgment on himself. That, for the, pro- the writer of the Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. I think that's crucial. Not just the temporal beginning. Can I say this? I'm going to get a little academic with you. Not just that you move from that and now we go to the other stuff. But there's a logical priority to the fear of the Lord being the beginning of all these things that shapes and frames the way in which we engage all of that. And think about all the things that the book of Proverbs talks about. Proverbs talks about the tongue. Proverbs talks about a wise person doesn't beat his animals. Proverbs talks about avoiding the loose woman's you know, corner of the street because you don't want to be there for the temptation that might come here. I mean, all the practical things that Proverbs talks about with real life makes no sense in the economy of the book of Proverbs in abstraction from the gospel. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We enter into all of those particular things from the framework of, of, of the gospel itself. Um, two more things and I'm done. Um, I, I also think that the scriptures are very clear, at least to me, that our whole lives are invested in the teaching and the education and the correction. And I see all those as the same thing, the discipline of our children. Do you remember this in the book of Deuteronomy? I love this. When your children ask you, what are these laws about? What do they mean? You answer them, we were slaves in Egypt. In other words, when they ask you about these laws... The answer that you give to them first off is not, this is what you need to do. The answer that you give them first is, you were a slave, and God redeemed you, and he loved you. And when you want to talk to them about that, where do you do it? When you're out in the field, cutting down wheat, when you're walking on the highway, when you're in the marketplace, when you're riding with a don- on a donkey, right? I mean, let's put that in our, in our terms. When you're on your way to baseball practice, when you're in carpool line, when, uh, when the commercial comes on TV, the Victoria's Secret commercial comes on TV, right? And your boys, my middle son's very intrigued by that. You know, he's like, wow. Um, and, you know, that's a teaching moment. You know, it's a teaching moment. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that's a while for you. But, you know, da, 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 da. In other words, all of life provides these opportunities um, to speak the truth of the gospel into our children's lives and the wisdom that God calls us into, which is framed by by Jesus. Um, so the importance, I think, of all of life, I, I, you know, that's, that's, that's been shaping for me. And then lastly, lastly, train up a child, you know this verse, right, in the way that he should go, and in the end, he will not depart from it. This is a controversial verse. It really goes this way. Train up a child in his way, 
And in the end, he will not go from it. I think what's going on there is two things. Number one, I do think the traditional translation is a good one. Train up a child in the way of wisdom, and in the end they will not depart from it unless they do. Right? I mean, I've, I've tossed it in there. But that's the general maxim. But according to his way, I don't think this is a kind of 1960s, early 70s self-actualization approach to parenting. And you know, I don't think it's that. You know, find their way and let them just sort of explore and discover. I don't think it's that. That just wouldn't even make sense in Proverbs. But I do think there's another way of understanding this, and that is according to the temperament and the particular makeup of that child, this has been one of the hardest aspects of parenting for me that demands continued repentance and reflection with my wife. And that is, I simply cannot parent and correct and talk to William and Jackson and Franklin in the same way. I just can't. I mentioned it already. William's a two-by-four kid. When it comes to go time between William and me, it can be a 30 to 45-minute difficult time. If I pulled that on Jackson, I would crush him. It would crush Jackson to have that kind of encounter. And Franklin, I don't know what's going to happen with him. right? Um, So the point is, that's where wisdom comes into play. And again, that, that need for the Lord to, to pour his grace out on us, to give us the humility um, that we need to respond and correct on, in the fly. Um, I mean, it's, I've heard Deborah Layton say this a few times in different contexts. I'm going to steal it from her. I love the image. It, it's learning how to fly an airplane while you're in the air. right? It's like reading the pilot's manual while you're in the air. And that's kind of how I feel. I don't know if you feel that way. It's like, I mean, we're flying. This jet's off the ground, and we're going to have to land it, or else we're going to crash. So we're just, it's just a constant reflection, constant reflection. Um, because life is a life of repentance, so said Martin Luther. And I believe that about parenting. I mean, it's just a constant act of putting to death and being made alive and seeking the grace of the Lord, and praying, and crying, and hoping, and being frustrated, that's the mix that we live in. I loved the view on parenting that I had as a 22-year-old. I love that view. I look back on it, I just see roses, and I mean, happy fields, just so clean, and precise, and, and now it's like, you know, I don't know, it's volcano land is where we are now. Um, and I think the good news of that is, I mean, one of the reasons too, you think about it, one of the reasons we go to parenting seminars, truthfully, is because we misery loves company, right? <laughs> what, I lo- don't you love being around parents? Who go, oh, you, that's not just me. You're struggling with that too. Um, and so I think this is where it, you know, it sort of leaves us in a position of hope, but in a position of of continued um, continued repentance. Uh, anyway, I'm done. Um, do you, do we want to? Oh. Okay. And um, I'm just going to ask, uh, you know, those of you who haven't come to this before, we kind of have like a little uh, practical breakdown um, after the talk. Oh, good. Leslie works, in, uh, she's in the head of our nursery and works at the MPS Church for Ever. Over, over forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be doing this and, uh, and Joe's our Christian education director. And so. Um, we both have three kids. And yeah, there you go. And so, I would, from your experiences, like, what insights would you offer as it pertains to discipline? 
plays first. <laughs> Um, I, I, this is a good one. Um, I feel like you hit all the really, um, interesting when Mark was talking about kids. I was a classroom teacher for eight and a half years, even before hmm. I started working at the church forever. And so I'm really old. But, um, but it's interesting to be able to take the things that I used in my classroom for discipline and knowing those things going into parenting. I mean, it's none of us are experts. I mean, it's all hard. But I found that so helpful because I'm, I've known talking to friends of mine that those aren't things that people just necessarily recognize about kids and how they tick and how they work. So that's mm. really helpful. But in line with something that you said, I think it's all about constant dying to self. But so much of what can frustrate us about our children I mean, yeah, sometimes they just do bad stuff, but a lot of the times what really frustrates us isn't so much what they're doing as that's not what we picture yeah. that they should do or could do or mm. might do. Mm. And so it's just a constant dying to go for that. And, um, and along with that, it's, it's been this is easier to do sometimes than others, but trying to look at... Um, in the situation, did I set my child up for this misbehavior? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, if, you know, this is a this morning example, as a matter of fact, if, if I don't wake up with the alarm, so we don't have enough time to really get ready in the amount of time that we need to get up in the morning, and so we're rushing crazy, and somebody's got to get their baseball stuff, and somebody's got to get their whatever stuff, and all this stuff, well, then I can't be screaming at them getting in the car because... I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I mean, I probably still would, but I mean, that's my fault. I set them up for that. You know what I mean? When I ask them to do too many things at one time or um, change expectations quickly or whatever, I've set them up for that um, because I've made a difficult situation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of comfort in knowing that, I mean, uh, Solomon wrote, uh, train up a child in the way she should go and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. His son, Rehoboam, train wreck. I mean, <laughs> right. <total laughs> right. Train wreck, right, 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 right. The kingdom divided under, under Rehoboam. <laughs> um, the, uh, I think about that. That's good. Yeah. Um, I, um, I mean, I've always, I say I've always said, because I had a very similar experience when I was in seminary. My si- sister-in-law brought, um, she came to visit us in seminary and brought her two or three-year-old daughter who just, I mean, we were going to church that whole morning, just whined and whined and whined and cried and whined, and I was just like, spank her. Just get her to stop. Just All you have to do is spank her. You know, and like, just, she'll stop. And, um, <laughs> um, yeah. I have uh, apologized to her about, I mean, a lot of times for that. Um, act of, uh, we laugh about it now. Um, and I, I think that, that parenting is is all about the parent, I mean, and, and not about this. So much more about the parent than about the child. Um, and I think what they, the best thing that they can, that we can do for them is to have them see us. I mean, it is fine to take away your their Kindle and, and spank them or whatever it is that you should do. I mean, you need to value, always evaluate. Are you doing it out of anger? Retribute. I think it's very helpful categories. Retributive justice versus. Uh, versus discipline, but um, self-evaluation. Mm-hmm. The other night, um, I was 
this happened many times. I was I was talking to Caroline, and and I was I was just like I'm not losing. I'm not losing my cool. 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 And we were just going back and forth. She was, but it was really ever. It was stupid. It was, it was stupid. Where where is she gonna go to sleep? Where is she gonna fall asleep? In what bed? Her own for crying out loud. No. Um, um, and, and she was going back and forth, and she really wasn't being ugly. But I was I was frustrated because she was not pushing back. And Amy said, some Amy said, um, I need we need for y'all to keep it down so the boys can get asleep. And like I I just slammed the door and then went right back. And and I was so like like I, it happens all the time. Like I'm so trying so hard to keep it together with one kid and the smallest little thing sets me off into somebody else. The most helpful thing in that whole in that whole discourse was that I said, Hold on, Caroline, I've got to go apologize to your mom. And she said, Why do you need to apologize? Because she didn't deserve that. And that was the whole I mean, so Car- Caroline won the argument, she got to sleep somewhere else. But <laughs> um, but I did I just to me I I'm just pray- prayerful, like I just everything I hope that she just sees apology. That's the. So I, I don't know. That's. Okay. Hmm. It's it's a it's. Uh, it's I, I, wow. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna turn. I was gonna say if anyone wants to kind of you know ask ask questions to, to Mark and, and Leslie and Joe. Uh, you know, I've gone through the similar humiliation of going from you know being a swim coach, a teacher, and a youth minister with no kids, and then having kids, and the humiliation of you know. <laughs> uh, everything I thought was completely wrong. <laughs> the only the only thing that has translated from brief to the best is just the kind of vision of patience for the development of your child, and like when you are instructing your child and when you are um, correcting your child. Um, you know, we always talk about we're not playing for 18, we're playing for 28, 38, 48, 58 in youth ministry. We're trying to build a foundation with the expectation that we're probably not going to see like the fruit of our labor. And right before us, hopefully, hopefully the fruit is going to be when that child has come to our ministry is, you know, getting married and having and is a parent, you know, so on and so forth. And so, but that is one thing I think is just have to really die to the expectation of really seeing mm. results in my child, and just pr- pray and you know, pray that the Lord's word does not just you know does not return in vain, mm. and that um, any of those seeds sprout maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road just think about how patient God was up, is with us and, um, and 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 ask the Lord to give us a similar kind of patience and waiting on the child does any, does anyone I need you to email me that every week like just send me an email that because I'm an I'm, I like it I mentioned this to the group earlier I'm ta- a task oriented person and I and I feel good about clearing off tasks, you know, it just feels good. Um, and my children are a task, you know, and so I, I feel like I, I like to see something immediate. I mean, I've, I've, I, I will blow this with my oldest because I need to give him space to cool down at times, and then we'll come together and we can talk through this in an hour or two. Something in me cannot let that be. It's like we're gonna, have to, we're gonna do deal with this now. Like, let's go right now. We're gonna do this. Um, and I, I, that's a good word. I just need to be reminded of that because that's where I think we we discipline or correct or teach in faith, in belief that number one, I'm doing this because I have a vocational call. I'm called to do it. I don't have a choice. 
called to do that. Um, and even if I'm not seeing it right here, I love that. I mean, we're thinking about 28, 38, 40. I've got to remember that because I think that's so important. Because I'm, I'm all about nine. <laughs> nine years old. And, and that's very short-sighted. That's, that's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's good. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Amy, I've said this before. Amy makes has made a help, really helpful distinction for me, who's just black and white, right or wrong. Um, is it is it childish or is it defiant? You know, like is it is you, are they acting like a child? And they acted like this because they're a child. Um, the other thing, yes, and, and that's really helpful. So I, I've, I've been able to peel back sort of my rage uh, when, you know what, he's, he's four. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He's not 44. <laughs> I forgot. Um, so that's, that's, that was really, that, that's really helpful. Defiance needs to be dealt with, and it needs to be dealt with according to the, their own temperament. If they're just being childish, that, that might be something else. Yeah, it's good. Mark, the same root for discipline and disciple. Is that right? I think in the New Testament, yes. Yeah, but not in, not in Hebrew. I th- I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'd have to look. Disciple in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a connection there. Yeah. My sweet little country daddy who knows nothing about Hebrew. Yeah. Um, he always has called it disciple. That child needs to disciple. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think um, even with little bitty people, I think, you know, sometimes we can think like, sin sounds like such a harsh word, but it's, I mean, that's what it is. And I think it's really important mm. for them to understand that from the time they're little bitty because it gives them a name for what that is and, and also to know, like, we're all like that. You know, there's not something wrong with me, you know. Mm-hmm. We all do this. We all have this. Mom and dad struggle with this. And, you know, and this is what you do about it. Because I don't think they can really understand grace unless they really understand their sinfulness. Mm-hmm. We have three children. I have, um, <laughs> I have one child that we pray every day will use his powers for good and not evil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very bright and very creative. And um, <laughs> so we pray for that for him every day. And, you know, he recently spent um, the process of a couple of months slowly repenting for a heinous crime for a child of his age. It was really heinous. And um, anyway, but it took like it was this long, drawn out process. But like through it, you know, we got a little bit of information every time. Like the whole crime wasn't really revealed until about the third month of repentance. And um, but it's like he was. His heart was breaking. And it mm. happened, like, the thing had happened, like, almost a year before. Mm. And, I mean, he had been in the state of, like, you know, mm. oh, you know, for all this time. And, like, it was amazing to watch the release for him once it was finally all out. And we've, like, you know, prayed about it all forever and all this. And, mm. you know, and, and I think he was waiting for the big, horrible kaboom. You know, what happened to the earth-shattering kaboom? You know, whatever punishment was coming to him. But, 
I mean, we didn't do anything because he had been tortured for a year, you know, and like punishing himself. And mm. so it was a huge word to him, you know, mm. that, you know, we prayed about it and God's grace, and it was just amazing. You know, and then I have another child who's a, a great rule follower, who's an amazing rule follower. Mm. And he recently said something that stuck with me. He said, um, I'm, he didn't say perfect, but he said, like, I'm your model child, or I'm your perfect child, or something like that. And you know which one I'm more worried about at 38, or, you know, 18, 28, 38? It's that one. I'm not so worried about this one with the heinous crime, because he absolutely is aware <laughs> of mm. what's in him, you know, and, and what should be mm. with it. So. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. I mean, sin is, you know, right, right from the, I mean, the birth canal. We want to be on the throne of our own heart. We want to be in charge. And some of us do that by rebellion. And some of us do it by conforming rules. It's elder brother, younger brother, you know, parable of two sons, mm. prodigal son, and elder brother. Mm. And, and it's all set. It's all separates us from the father. Mm. So with the one that is the, you know, model child, how do you teach that child the fear of the Lord? We keep plugging along the way that we've been plugging along. You know, this other one, the heinous crime child, gets it, you know, and mm-hmm. has gotten it, you know, and it's up to the Holy Spirit for this other one to get it, you know, and, and maybe he does, and I don't know. It. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, and I can't know that, but mm-hmm. we just keep plugging along like we've been plugging along and trusting the Lord that he's got it, you know, and maybe this one's going to have to fall pretty big before, you know, he does. I don't know. I think it's it's easy, and I, I don't know in your situation, but certainly in our situation, in lots of situations, it's easy for the squeaky wheel to get the grease, and um, and for the for the prodigal to, to to be the one who gets all the attention, while while the other one is sort of just thank you for thank you for not being like this, you know, and um, and and, uh, and and that 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 builds up there. I mean, they need to be told too. I mean, you know, um, and caught in there. And brought, invited to a sweet, sort of, you know, a sweet, a gentle repentance, you know, maybe, but, um, but repentance nonetheless. Mm. So they need, they need some grace. Mm. How do we get our kids to see, or, um, you know, when you start discipline, it's you're so mean, you're so mean, to get past that point of. Um, Seeing discipline in a different way. That you saying that to your kids? No, the kids. You're so mean. Yeah. You're Yeah. You um, you don't do that to Max. You know, you don't discipline him. Uh, crickets. Uh, crickets. Mm-hmm. You remember this morning what Palmer had to say on that? <sighs> he's, he's talked about. Are they just kind of accepting that? You know, with each kid being different. Yeah. That you know you're always going to be accused of not being fair, and there's not really a yeah. to that because it, you know a it's not fair, but you know each child needs to be addressed in a different way. He said the only thing you can really kind of control is some level of equity when it comes to time. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I don't know. If that, I don't think that was exactly your question, but as far as kids, kids feeling like you don't do this, you, you don't treat much of my sibling this way, you treat me this way, it's unfair. The, the, only way, the only place where you can try to be fair is in terms of like investing equally in terms of time. And I think, you know, it's a great question because, and I didn't talk about it this morning because I was scared too, um, but I'm pretty, con- I'm pretty convinced that, I mean, you can't walk away from the concept of the rod in the book of Proverbs. It's all over the place. 
Um, so when it comes to sort of, does the Bible condone or condemn spanking, for example? Um, I take a kind of neutral position on that and say, well, I can't say that the Bible condemns it, but I also think that the, the rod is, can be understood properly as a metaphor for discipline in general, whatever that might be given the nature of the child. We, we, we don't spank anymore because it became a problem in our home. Um, you know, so I should, we will still pull that every once in a while, but very rarely. Um, but the point of that is, and I'm, I don't know where you are on that, and I know that's hot. My wife was like, you don't touch that with a nine-foot pole. And I was like, I, I understand. <laughs> but, but the metaphor is a rod. So, and I think it's unrealistic to to think that my nine-year-old or my seven-year-old is going to, in the moment when I tell them, "You've lost the Kindle for the weekend," which is the time we let them play it, or you cannot watch Sports Center on Sunday morning before we go to church. That at that moment they're going to go, "Mommy and Daddy love me." You know, it's just they, they discipline me. They love me. You know, I, I I can understand that they're going to think it's me, and I get that point. Um, so I guess the prayer is, given what Cameron is saying, is that that they see that this love and discipline are related to one another and not antithetical, um, and that it's sort of wrapped up in love in the way in which we in the way in which we communicate that to them. And one of the things that, and this I'll give all, this is my wife. She's much more insightful on these things than I am. I'm I'm two left feet on this, but you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and we have a squeaky wheel in our home. Um, and one of the ways in which we try to think about how do we, you know, how do we mitigate this because we don't want the other ones to feel left out. Da, da, da. And so my wife has started to go out on dates with the boys. Right? She she went out with William, just the two of them. She went out with Jackson, just the two of them. She's going to do Franklin, just the two of them. And this is that time thing. I mean, squeaky wheels are squeaky wheels. They demand, and the, and unfortunately at times the house can sort of revolve around that issue. Um, but I do think. And my wife is much more creative on this than I am, but sort of moving toward trying to spend time, you know, and communicate these things in that context helps at least put the meanness in a larger framework. And my mom, I'll just, I mean, I was on the show. My mom was tough as nails. I mean, I grew up in a spanking home. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you to this day, I'd much prefer to get a spanking from my father than my mother any day of the week growing up. I mean, my kids love for me to tell them spanking stories growing up because, I mean, my mother, I mean, there are times like I just couldn't see straight. It hurt so bad, right? And, um, and so, I mean, I think about that with my mom. But my mom, but it was high love. I mean, here's this sort of Middle Eastern woman. All the stereotypes you think about a Middle Eastern woman it was my, it was my mom. Um, and so it was just high love and high discipline. And I knew that even in the moment when I couldn't stand it, you know, what was going on. But I knew that this that there my mother was for me you know I, i'm not sure that's always the case for everybody that's just my story but but i knew deep down that even though this is mean she's mean i knew she's for me and this is what that's about i don't know and maybe not